You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good morning. Welcome this wonderful, blessed day that God has given us, and I pray that you are as well enjoying this day that the Lord has gave. And uh, so I want to welcome you. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to say welcome. It's getting in the Word. It's Tuesday, and we are working through uh, Design for Discipleship. It's uh, about an eight-book series that will uh, walk with you through the basics of the faith. And today we're going to be in Book 2, Chapter 5, and we're going to be talking about witnessing for Christ. And so I pray that you'll be blessed uh, by this time together. If you're joining us on Rumble Live or Facebook Live, we want to uh, say welcome, and we pray that you'll enjoy it as well as here on Telegram. And uh, again, thank you for the admin and their help uh, as they manage the chat and such on these different platforms. So uh, regardless, we are, we are glad to have you, whichever uh, platform you're watching on. It is truly a delight and an honor. So let me pray, and then we'll jump right in and open up our time together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the many blessings that you've blessed us with. May you use this time for your glory, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, uh, we are working through Design for Discipleship. I've put uh, the PDF that uh, the navigators allow for you to print out a copy for yourselves. And so the hope and the objective is, listen, you get out what you put in. Uh, I would encourage you to print out the PDF. And in that PDF, then you can work through uh, Book 2, Chapter 5, and you can fill in your answers so that when we're teaching through it, it isn't something that's uh, extremely new to you, but rather it is something that you've been working through yourself and so what you are seeing is just an overflow of the, uh, the, the lesson that we've all worked through already together. And so I pray that you'll do that. Um, just print that out, and we, we look forward to uh, hearing um, your answers as we work through as well. Um, so we've been, again, book two. We're in chapter five, and uh, we're going to be talking about witnessing for Christ. And so if you have your PDFs printed or you can open it up there in the chat, um, you can follow along with us, um, and if you have your Bibles, certainly open those and turn as they will be a, a great benefit to you as we work through these lessons. So uh, Paul Little states this in his um, in this quote from uh, about witnessing for Christ. He says this: "It is the Holy Spirit, not we, who converts an individual." We, the privileged ambassadors of Jesus Christ, can communicate a verbal message. We can demonstrate through our personalities in life that what the grace of Jesus Christ can accomplish. But let us never naively think that we can convert a soul and, and that it is we who brought him to Jesus Christ. No one calls Jesus, Lord, accept by the Holy Spirit. That's an important reminder that it isn't you, it isn't me. It is the proclamation of the truth of God's Word through the working of the, and the wooing of the Holy Spirit who brings lives to people, 
who, who saves and regenerates and justifies and declares them right before Almighty God. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. And this is why when you listen to someone um, and they say, I found Jesus on March 25, 2001, or um, this or that. It, you didn't find Jesus, my friend. Jesus found you. You, you didn't uh, call on him. He called on you because no one can come to the Father unless first he draws him. So that is an important aspect of understanding and witnessing for Jesus Christ is that we are simply ambassadors for Christ speaking and calling people to repentance through the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so I pray that you'll understand that, that you'll see that, and that that will be clear for you as we study uh, this portion of Scripture, because it is vitally important that we see that and understand that. So the reality is, is it's the Holy Spirit, not we, who converts an individual. Here in number 1, Mark 5, 18 and 19 says, Notice Jesus' words to the man that he had healed. Where did he send him? Well, flip over there, if you will, to Mark chapter 5. It's a beautiful story about a man that was healed, and he is no longer demon-possessed, but that God had, Christ had delivered him and had healed him. And when this man was delivered, they went into their land, and if you remember, Jesus cast out these demons into the pigs, and the pigs ran off the cliff, and therefore they were, Jesus was getting all up in their business, and all of the herd died and went off into, and so they basically asked Jesus to leave the community. And so he goes to leave, and this demon-possessed man that had been healed, that had been saved, that had been redeemed, that had been born again by an act of the Holy Spirit, he is saved. And Jesus, as he's getting ready to depart, the man wanting, who had been demon-possessed, wanted to accompany him. Of course he wanted to follow Jesus. Where you go, I go. Right? You, you healed me. You've delivered me. But he did not let him. The text says he did not let him, but he said to him, Go to your home people, your own people, and report to them what great things God has done for you. He was an ambassador. He sent him back into his community. He sent him back into his hometown to where he could tell the people what good things God had done for, to him. Now, Jesus didn't say, go get an education. Listen, there's nothing wrong with an education. There's nothing wrong with Bible college. There's nothing wrong with seminary. There's nothing wrong with a master's level degree or a doctorate of ministry or a Ph.D., Listen, many people don't want to do those things because they're lazy and they don't trust God to provide for them as they walk through and study. Paul studied for years before he went into ministry. He went off to Arabia where he studied for three years, I think it was. The reality is, is we should never um, uh contradict those who go off to study for the ministry. Because, listen, it's a serious deal. He, when you go to be a teacher of the Word, you, you, are, you are going to be judged at a stricter judgment. And so it's important that you're trained and equipped 
for the work of the ministry. We don't just put kids out on the front line until they're prepared, until they're ready. Well, you shouldn't get out into the front lines until you're prepared and ready. But notice here, this man wasn't instructed to, to, to go be all theologically and and uh, and to emphasize his degree of ministry. No, he was to go tell the people what good things God had done. He was to be an ambassador for Christ. And so you may be listening this morning and watching this morning. You say, well, I don't have a Ph.D. I don't have a doctorate of ministry. I don't have a master's degree. I don't even have a college education. Listen, God equips the called, my friend. He doesn't necessarily call the equipped. He, he Rather, he equips the called. If God calls you to full-time ministry, it would be my encouragement that you go study and that you become familiar with sound doctrine and, and good theology. But in reality, your testimony of what God has done in your life is much more vital than a degree because no one can take from you what God has done in your life. And we'll see that as we work through. But this man was called to go back into his hometown and to tell the people what good things God has done. Why do you suppose Jesus gave these particular instructions to this man? Well, because they didn't want Jesus there. And how will they hear unless one goes? How can someone know unless someone witnesses? How can someone come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ unless you or I open our mouth and proclaim the truth of God's Word? So it's vitally important. He left him there to be a missionary in his own community. Too many of us, we're takers. We're never givers, meaning we sit and we listen to the teaching of God's Word. We take in the Word of God. We learn from the Word of God, but we never go and, and herald the truth of God's Word. We never encourage people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's scary. It's awkward. But like I always say, go be awkward. We've been called to proclaim the gospel into all of the world. That's your job and my job. Though you may not be a pastor, though you may not be a teacher of the Word of God, you may not be gifted with that. Maybe you're not even gifted with the gift of evangelism or pastor, teacher, or maybe you're just a gifted with the gift of servant, servitude. Listen, the reality is you are still, and I am still called, regardless of our gifts, to be an ambassador, a mouthpiece for Jesus Christ, a representative for the gospel. And so Jesus tells this man, Go back and tell the people what good things God has done for you. When you think about speaking of Christ, let me ask you this. How do you react? Uh, check one of these that ask us. It says this, I find it difficult to speak a, 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 such a personal matter. Um, secondly, is I do not speak unless someone asks. I find it easy to talk to friends about Christ, but not people I don't know. Here's another one. I find it easy to talk to strangers about Jesus Christ, but not close friends. And then the final was, I find myself talking to people about Christ, and I enjoy it very much. I think we all fall into one of these categories. I selected the last one. I find myself talking to people about Christ and enjoying it. doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean it's not awkward sometimes. But we, we've been called to do that. 
How do you think Peter would have answered this question from Acts chapter 4, verse 20? We'll turn in your Bibles there to Acts chapter 4, verse 20. And it says, for we cannot, right? What happened was they were told to stop speaking. And what did he say in verse 20? For we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. They couldn't stop proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ because it had an impact on them. And listen, when you're born again and when you're saved and you are indwelt with the Spirit of God, you are changed, you are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away and God gives you, should give you the desire for others to be saved, for you to share the hope of Jesus Christ with someone else. Sometimes you may feel as though you need to know all the answers. Listen, I've been pastoring for almost 13 years now, and I promise you there's plenty I don't know. The more I do know, the more I realize I don't know. And that's important because it's very humbling. You think as a student or someone with a master's degree or someone with a doctorate of ministry degree knows all things. They don't know all things. We don't know all things. And there is a broad amount of information, a, a broad perspective of, of doctrine and theology that it is hard to be a master of it all. But I can tell you what I hope that you would master, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, salvation in Jesus Christ is of most importance, for which Paul even says that as he delivered the gospel. But there is that tension, isn't there, that you need sometimes to feel like you have to have all the answers before you can be an effective witness for Christ. But that isn't what the Scriptures teach. No, First John, turn over there to chapter 1, verse, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And I love this because here we find the, the introduction to the incarnate Word, um, and they say, that which is from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, which we touch with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was made manifest that we have seen and testify and proclaim uh, to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. Listen to what he says in verse 3. What we've seen, what we've heard, what we proclaim to you also so that you may too have fellowship with us and indeed fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Um, all that you have to be willing to do is to proclaim that which you know to be true. And if you were born again, my friend, you have a story. You have a testimony of how the God of this universe invaded your heart and gave you a new nature and created in you a clean heart. You have been justified. You have been born again. Christ is now in union with you. You in Christ and Christ in you. You have a testimony that you can proclaim to the world. You don't have to know everything, but you can know the gospel well, and you can proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ. What would be the purpose? Well, in 1 John, it says that they might have fellowship, koinonia, something in common. That is a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they might be saved. So how would you summarize the most important things you've seen and heard about Christ in your life? Well, I think that I've seen God 
in my personal, this will be a personal answer that you can answer for yourself. But in my personal walk, I've seen God do a great work in my life. I'm not the same man I used to be. I don't have the same desires that I used to be. He truly changed me from the inside out. He gave me new desires. He gave me a new passion to provide for my family. And God has done that in amazing ways over the years. God has always taken um, and taking care of my and my family's needs. He uses me often to proclaim the truth of God's Word. And many times people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It isn't me. It is the working of the Spirit of God through His Word, but it is the preacher who proclaims the truth of God's Word. It is the heralder, the heralder who uh, proclaims Jesus Christ in his communities. And you should do that so that you can experience the grace and mercy of God happening in somebody's life. There's no greater joy than to see that. Um, Here is number four, contrast the difference in the lives of people in this chart. How did they act? Well, we see the authorities in John chapter 12, uh, verse 42. Flip over there, if you will, John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even the rulers, believed him, but because the Pharisees, They were not confessing him, for they were fearful, for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Listen, some believed, but they did not profess him publicly out of fear of man. That is uh, an interesting dynamic. That's what we see happening in the synagogues among the authorities. So they, they, they believed, they believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be, but they failed to publicly confess it. This is how they acted. Why did they act this way? Because they were moved by fear. And listen, when you fail... You believe Jesus Christ. You're born again from above, but you fail to herald the truth, to talk to people about your relationship with Christ. You are like these authorities who who act out of fear rather than faith because faith and fear cannot cohabitate. When fear moves in, faith moves out. You, You need to have faith. You need to live by faith, walk by faith, and not in Fear And Paul gives us this great example here in Romans 1, chapter 15, and six, verse, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, for he says, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also here in Rome. There was an eagerness, there was a desire for Paul to unashamedly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Gentile. Listen, you and I ought to be like Paul in the fact that we should desire and not be ashamed of the gospel, for we need to proclaim it and herald it with a faith that God will use it for His glory. Paul was not ashamed. He was a faithful preacher of the gospel, and we ought to be the opposite of the authorities and be like Paul, who was bold in his faith, no matter the cost. 
The next number five calls us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Um, and they're asking us to discover a list of uh, motivations and reasoning for witnessing for Christ. List those that you discover. Well, let's look at verse 9. Therefore, we have also, as our ambition, whether at home or absent, uh, be pleasing to Him. So we, we ought to be motivated in, in sharing the hope of Jesus Christ for the sake of being pleasing to Him. That's important. We should desire, as believers, to please the Lord Jesus Christ, to honor Him. And that's what we see in verse 9 here. How about verse 10? Well, he says this in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. Listen, we ought to be motivated by the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ will be appearing, my friend. That's vitally important. We need to be reminded of that truth. How about verse 11? Verse 11 says that, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. Listen, we ought to be motivated by our fear of the Lord. Listen, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Listen, this is a reverence and an awe of who God is and the responsibility that He has given to us as His children and as His ambassadors for Christ. Listen, you must have a personal relationship with the King in order to be a real ambassador. You're not an ambassador if you don't have a relationship with the King. There must be a close proximity of a relationship with the King for whom you are an ambassador of. The reality is, is if you are truly an ambassador, then you'll have a close relationship with Christ and you'll be a person, whether it be a man or a woman, who will, who will be motivated by your fear of the Lord to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. How about verse 14? For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all and therefore all died. Listen, we ought to be motivated by the love of Christ. We ought to witness for Jesus Christ because we want to first be pleasing to Him, first because we know that you and I will appear to Him and give an account of all that's happened in our life. We, we ought to be motivated because of our fear, our reverence, our all of who God is. But most importantly, we ought to witness for Jesus Christ, out of a love for our Father. We ought to have the love of Christ in us. Listen, it would be loving if you would share with your people that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because there is no greater hope than that. It would be unloving for you to fail to tell your family who you care deeply about that their house is on fire 
It would not be loving for you to watch their house burn down and them in it. It is equally not loving for us to fail to open our mouths and herald the truth of God's Word to a people that we love. That motivation should be the love of Christ. So witnesses is ultimately taking a good look at the Lord Jesus Christ and then telling others what you've seen. Taking your experience, I'm not talking about a subjective relationship with Christ uh, that your experiences drive. Listen, uh, salvation isn't uh, about an experience. It's about a true, genuine transformation that takes place in your life. It is by faith in Jesus Christ that he left heaven and became a man and lived a perfect life and became your penalty as he was crucified on the cross. Because you were sinful and I am sinful, he was sinless. And therefore, he was your substitute on Calvary. He took your sins upon him and and bore them on the cross. And your faith in the work that Jesus Christ has done is what saves you. And it should be what motivates you because you and I deserve the pure flaming wrath and justice of God. Listen, to be a witness is to tell others of what God has done through you, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do you become an effective witness? That's the next section we're going to look at. Witnessing is not just simply merely an activity. It is a way of life. And Christians don't, don't do witnessing. They are witnesses, whether for good or bad. You are an ambassador of Christ. If you are born again, you are either a good witness or a bad witness. Listen, the reality is, is you will be a, a, a follower who honors Christ or you will be a follower who dishonors Christ. And so we need to concentrate. We need to specifically uh, consider these things on improving our witness for Jesus Christ. We need to first make sure that we are witnessing by love, by love. It's one thing to say you're a believer and a follower of Christ. It's another thing to be a witness for Jesus Christ in a way that is loving and honoring to God. Consider the qualities uh, that the scriptures specify of, of what love is. I'm not talking about a modern-day corrupted uh, false love. I'm talking about a biblical love that we, that we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that defines love. Look over there, if you will, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, and we'll look at verses 4 to 7, and it gives us this, these uh, elements of love. Love is patient. Are you patient with those who do not know Christ? Are you patient with those who are growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ? Because, listen, we must be patient. Love is kind. Are we kind? Are our words kind? Do we speak evil of people whom we are supposed to love and care for? Listen, you're either a good example or a bad example, friend. It's one thing to say, oh, I love you. It's another thing to act like it and to speak like it. It's another thing to be kind to those whom you don't agree with. It says love is not jealous. 
listen, a lot of people are trying to build for themselves their own kingdom. I think we are now up to 11,000 subscribers plus some. I don't care about how many people we have. I can't maintain and manage 11,000 people. You know what I care about? Is that I show you the love of Christ. You don't need to become jealous of somebody because they have they've worked their way up some ladder of success in the eyes of man. Who cares about how many numbers you have? God doesn't care how many numbers you have. God cares that you are faithful with what he's given, whether it be 10 or 10,000 or 10 million. That's what God wants. And you, as a Christian, as an ambassador, as a representative of Christ, need to exemplify yourself, not in jealousy. So don't, don't get upset with someone and jealous over their success. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love does not brag. It is not boastful, my friend. It is not arrogant. Listen, God is not a respecter of men. We are all sinful in need of a Savior. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Listen, if it wasn't because of Christ, you and I would inherit the wrath of God. So if there's any good in me, I can promise you it ain't because of Stuart. It ain't because of you. It's because of Christ who is in you. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. How can I be arrogant? How can you be arrogant? Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. I had a conversation with someone recently. And they made the comment that they, 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 have, they have served me and helped me grow what's happened. Listen, you're not serving me. And I ain't serving you. I'm serving Christ. And we are serving Him together. And if there's any good, any benefit of anything on social media, it's because Christ has allotted that. There's nothing to do with you or me. We don't seek our own glory, but we give glory to God. And if God gives us a platform that's growing and being productive, and we're seeing souls come to Christ, we give glory to God, not me. I am a nobody. I am a wretched man who deserves the pure flaming wrath and justice of God. I am, in, in reality, an ignorant man who depends solely on Jesus Christ for my life, for my dependency, for my provision, and I am worthless and could do nothing apart from Him. So why should we ever seek our own? No, love seeks one another. Love is not provoked to anger. So we shouldn't become angry. There's a difference in passion and anger. Uh, anger is uncontrolled. The Bible says, be angry and yet not sin. There is a, a, a reverential awe of God and a, and, a, and a righteous indignation. Now, we like to justify that and use that inappropriately and misuse the Scriptures so that we can do things that are ungodly in an, in an anger-like manner. 
Listen, just because the man pulled his sword out and cut the ear off of Malchus doesn't mean you and I need to pick up our swords and start hacking people because they hate Jesus. No, Jesus said if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. Don't twist God's word to accomplish your, your intentions. No, we need to make sure that you and I love. We are an ambassadors. We're not provoked. It says, rather, it rejoices, takes no account of wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It doesn't get excited when that man or that woman that has offended you gets what they deserve. No, that's not godly. That's ungodly. You ought to pity them. You ought to feel horrible that they, because they are sinful, stained, separated from God, and enmity with God, you ought to pity them because they don't know Christ. You ought not tell them to go to hell because they disagree with you. That's not the, the, the love of Christ. No, the love of Christ does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It does not rejoice because they are wrong. It rejoices with truth. That says if they disagree with me, that's okay. We can agree to disagree, but I pray that the God who created them will give them eyes to see and ears to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that they will be changed from the inside out, and that they will be born again, and that now God can give them a new nature that can do and please God, that they can act out in true freedom. Freedom isn't the ability to do what you want, to say what you want, but true freedom is now the ability to accomplish that which God gives you the ability to do, and that is to honor God. You have a new nature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we as ambassadors ought to rejoice with truth. We ought to be happy when someone is speaking the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. doesn't hold grudges. Okay, you spoke bad about me. That's okay. I forgive you. I, I, I'm not going to lose sleep because someone has misrepresented my character. I, I, I could care less about what man thinks of me. But I forgive you. Because I love you, and I desire for you to be born again from above, and I want to be a great example, and I want to be a, a wonderful ambassador for Christ. And Jesus is hanging on the cross. He didn't call the legions of angels down to eliminate his enemies. No, he crucified, pierced through, crowned with thorns on his head, hanging on a cross, looks among the crowds and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is the love of Christ. So when your enemy is hungry, you feed him. When he's thirsty, you give him a drink. That's what Romans chapter 12 says. Don't take revenge. Vengeance is mine, Romans 12 says. I will repay, thus says the Lord. So that's the reality. Love never fails. You can't say you love somebody and then just walk away from them. That's not love. There's something in there that's contradictory. Love never fails. We may disagree. We may butt heads. But as a brother and sister in Christ, 
we are brothers and sisters in Christ and individually members of one another. I can't walk away from you or you walk away from me and say we love each other. No, we're not acting in love because love never fails. That's a reality. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It's not bragging. It doesn't hold grudges. And in order for you and I to be an effective witness for Christ, then we must love with a Christ-like love. Flip over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you. There Jesus is reminding them that you are to love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You want to know if you're truly a disciple of Christ? Then you should be known by your love for one another. How you handle a disagreement, how you handle a bad situation, is determined by how you love one another. By this, you'll know if you're truly a disciple. So let me ask you, how are you dealing with that? Are you really loving one another well? Because if we are truly good ambassadors for Christ and we're loving like Christ, then we're going to handle those situations well. And when we don't, we'll just ask, hey, forgive me, brother, sister. I'm sorry I offended you. I did this. I was wrong. I didn't mean to. That should be the heart of the believer. Forgiveness first. Don't worry about whose fault it is. Forgiveness first. Ask for forgiveness. And give for, and be forgiven when someone comes to you and asks for forgiveness. Love is important. Love is Christ. What do you think Jesus gave this command? Why? So that they could be examples. They, they, we need to be Christ in us, so we need to be loving like Christ. Some people never read the Bible and seldom attend church. And if you want them to know Christ and what Christ can do for them, then let them see what Christ has done for you. You are an you are a representative. When they see you, they ought to see Christ. That, 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 that doesn't save them, but it at least draws them to you because of your love for one another and your love for Christ. You don't respond like the rest of the world. No, you love. We need to witness by our love, my friend. But we need to witness by our life as well. What can the result of good works do? Well, Matthew 5.16 reminds us, it says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 3, 1-3? That is true of the Corinthians. Well, flip over there. 2 Corinthians 3, 1-3, and we'll read that together. He says this, Being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Such confidence we have, through Christ toward God. Not. Do you see that? You, you are a tablet. You are a, a written book of Jesus Christ. Clearly see the heart that we are truly of God. 
if you are in Christ? Do you think people notice your life and consider it as a witness for Jesus Christ? When they see you, do, do they see that you are a good witness for Christ? That's the question you have to answer for yourself. And if you, can, and if you can't say yes, or you say, you know, more often than not, because you're not always going to be perfect, you're not always going to do right, and that's okay. We understand that. But we confess our sins right away and we turn back to God and then we try to ask for forgiveness of those we've offended. But are you? Do they notice Christ in you? That's a question. We need to witness not only by our love, by our life, but by the, with the Word. <laughs> what challenge and instructions with regard to witnessing do you see in 1 Peter 3.15? Well, I think what we see is to defend the gospel. Um, listen to what it says here. But sanctify uh, Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to what? Make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. You want to be an example of the gospel, to make a defense, not for all of the theological desires. Listen, if I sit around and tried to answer every theological question that I get emailed or asked, I'd never be able to, I'd never have time to do anything. I'm called to give a defense for the hope that is in me, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be be willing and able to defend the gospel. How do you know you're saved, pastor, and be able to proclaim the truth of God's word there? Number 11, Paul gave some important facts about witnessing for Christ in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 4 to 5. Um, paraphrase these verses. So I wrote that, that, the, that our witnessing isn't about our abilities, but rather His faithfulness working through the power of the Spirit of God. Listen, Paul didn't witness with big words. He didn't... Listen, you can always tell... Somebody who is young in the faith or is trying to impress you by, by them trying to be all Greek and Hebrewic. Listen, the reality is, is Greek and Hebrew are important. Don't get me wrong. I've studied it for years. But Greek and Hebrew is like underwear. You need it. You just don't know, want nobody to see it. And listen, Paul, you don't need to speak Greek or Hebrew. You don't have to walk around and say, Yeshua, Elohim. Which name of God are you going to call him by? Jesus and Lord is good. What we need to do is be an example for Christ and preach the good news of Jesus Christ in its most simplest form. It's not about big words or, or fancy terminologies. No, it's about faithfulness to the truth and the simplicity of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can get all fancy, but that doesn't save. It is the power of God through the working of His Word in which men and women come to Christ. Number 12, the blind man whom Jesus healed had little or no theological training, but was able to relate simply and effectively the facts of his experience. Listen, if you've truly been born again from above, you ought to be able to say something. You ought to be able to quote the gospel at least. If you truly believe that the gospel is that which has saved you for eternity, that's a big event. 
Don't you think for a second you ought to be able to share the gospel with somebody else if you are, are, are by faith believing that it's saving you? I didn't say you had to know everything theologically, but you ought to be able to explain the gospel to somebody. What did the, this man say in John 9, 25? Call me a sinner, whatever you want. All I can tell you is I was blind, but now I see. Can you make that statement similar of that which the healed man that came from blind to sight? How would you put it in your own words? You, you, you have to write that answer in your own I simply wrote, I did not believe. How I came to believe, I don't know. The man preached. I heard the good news. I saw my need for a Savior. I don't know. I believed Jesus Christ. I didn't, but now I do. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that I need Him in order to be saved. This quote from Samuel Shoemaker says this, I cannot. By being good, tell men of Jesus' anointing death and resurrection, nor of my faith in his divinity. The emphasis is too much on me and too little on him. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him. It's about Christ and his saving work. And we see this great example of Paul the apostle in Paul's stories. We read through his account in Acts chapter 26. It was a chapter that I memorized as a young Christian because it had so much power. I think I memorized it in the New Living Translation um, as a young believer, and it's been powerful. And I was able to quote that in Israel when I was there. And it was a beautiful thing to be able to do in the Colosseum where Paul would have been in prison But how did Paul, in Acts chapter 26, begin his story? He he said, I I, I consider it fortunate. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense. And so we see that Paul, in his defense to King Agrippa, was an opportunity for him to be on the same page with this man because they shared the same background. And therefore, Paul felt it was a, a benefit. Now we find out here in verses 4 and 5 and 9 and 11 the character of, of, of Paul's background. He said, I used to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Authorized by the leading priest, I even I pursued them in distant cities of foreign lands. He had them whipped in the synagogues to try to get them to curse Christ, to blaspheme Jesus Christ, to speak evil against Christ. And he even cast his vote against them when they were condemned to death. He said, many times I had them whipped in the synagogues. Listen, Christ, uh, Paul was an evil man. And he went from town to town and ripped parents from their children and cast them into prison, and many of them were put to death. What reversed this? Well, he had an experience like none other. 
He was on the road to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. He said, About noon, your majesty, a light from heaven shone down on me and my companions, and we all fell down. And he says, I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? He said, Who are you, sir? I asked. He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now stand up, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You are to tell the world about this experience and about other times I will appear to you. Listen, he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what reversed. He said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and they will receive forgiveness for their sins who are set apart by faith, not by works, not by deed, not by efforts, not by being Jew, not by being Gentile, no, by faith in Jesus Christ. If there was another way unto salvation, my friend, the author of salvation, Jesus Christ, who appeared to Paul, would have said it. No, he said, by faith in me. You're saved by faith in Christ. Paul was saved by faith in Christ. And that's what changed his life. He explained the gospel as he talked about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the persecution that he would endure as he gave his defense to King Agrippa. 1 Corinthians 15, as he reminds us the most importance. He proclaimed the gospel, which is the power to save that Christ died, was buried, and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. So what did Paul ask Agrippa? And why is this important question? He asked King Agrippa, Do you believe the prophets? Why is that important? Because the prophets spoke of Christ. He, he, he knew the prophets well. Luke 24, 27 says, In the beginning, with Moses and with all of the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things that were written about him in all of the Scriptures. Listen, the Old Testament speaks about Christ. And they knew the Old Testament well. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. We all have a story. Paul has a story. And if Paul can be saved and used for the edification of the body of Christ, the proclamation of the Word of God, then the reality is, is God can certainly use you. You have your own story. We've seen Paul give his story, that on the way to Damascus he was changed. You need to be able to share your story. And so this PDF gives you an opportunity to prepare a testimony. And I would suggest that you print it out and that you begin to write down your own testimony and what God has done for you, for His glory. You need to make it personal, not preachy. Just tell what Christ has done for you and I. The reality is, is, is use the I, the me, the my, not you. This is about you. Make it short and sweet. Three or four minutes should be enough to cover this um, the essential facts of your life and how God has transformed you. Keep Christ central in your testimony because it's not about what you've done, but rather what Christ has done for you. Use the Word of God. A verse or two of Scripture will add power to your testimony, to the story of redemption that you have, that God has done in your life. Remember, the Word of God is the, 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 the sword that cuts and so we, we need to know that um, a testimony of our own life. 
And so here they give you how to prepare that. And I pray you'll take advantage of that and, and, and write your story down because we all have a story. Listen, in conclusion, remember, you don't have the power in yourself to convince anyone of spiritual truth. You are simply an ambassador, a mouthpiece, a representative of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word of God that convicts the non-Christian of their need to know Christ personally. As you pray for those people in your life, and people you don't even know that will come, that God would give them ears to hear and eyes to see the proclamation of His Word and to convince people of their need and their brokenness and their separation from God and their need for Jesus Christ to save them. And may you, may God give you the strength as you need it to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't really know how to do that. Well, every Friday for since May of last year, we've shared the gospel. We do that for two reasons, because we want people to come to Christ, number one. But number two is an encouragement to you to write it down every Friday, to work through it so that you can take what you've learned and you can go into your communities and your contact group and you can share Jesus Christ. We want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So today, remember these three points. According to the principles of Scripture, we are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced through His life-changing work in our own lives. The power of the gospel should permeate from us. We are to, secondly, be witnesses for Christ by our action of love, by our lifestyle, and in our speech. Let your speech be seasoned with the love of Christ. We live in a perverted culture where there's cursing pastors and we don't think about the things we say or how we say them. We need to make sure that our speech is seasoned with salt and permeated with the Word of God. Thirdly, Paul's spoken testimony provides a pattern, doesn't it? For verbal witness, telling others of what Christ has done for you what He is doing in your life and through your life for His glory. And the desires that you will be able to seek out those in the world that God has brought in your path and that you'll be able to proclaim the truth of the gospel to others so that, so that you might bring Him glory and honor, that you might be an example for others to follow. So I pray that you will go out starting today, and be a great witness for Christ. We love you and we thank you. We pray you are blessed by today. May God bless you as you continue to walk with Him. Father God, I thank you for today. We ask you bless this time, this, these words. May they permeate our hearts. May they change us from the inside out. And may we, as we are faithful to the proclamation of your truth, be used for your glory. We ask these things in the precious, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.